I'm, let me start off with saying I'm a grateful compulsive overeater. And I had just reached, I'm so sorry, Gail, compulsive overeater. Um, I just reached my eighth year. Never thought, never thought that it would happen. Just never thought. I was telling a, a program person, I said, I put on a pair of pants that I wore in Morocco in 2014. Never happened before. Um, I was four pounds, 14 ounces at birth. And my mom used to say, well, you could fit in the pickle jar. Makes me wonder. But um, I seem to have always been on the chubby side. Once I got a little bit, you know, like school age, um, I remember having this great dress. I loved this dress. It was, it was a little, um, it was, it had, a, it was a pinafore kind of thing where you had the Swiss suspenders and they went down and across. It was one of my favorite things to wear. And I, but I always remember that I was a little chubby. And um, that's what they all would always say. Oh, you're so cute. If you could just lose that weight, you know? And when a kid hears that, you, you get it really early. Something's wrong with you. And um, there were kids in my class that were thin and uh, what I thought was beautiful. And... Um, I was always a little not, you know? So one of my things I remember is confirmation. I wanted two things in the worst way. I wanted hush puppies from Tom McCann. And now I'm dating myself. And I wanted a windbreaker with the pocket in the center. My parents shopped at Sears in San Francisco. So I got faux hush puppies and I got a windbreaker that had a roll collar and a zipper. And that's kind of how life felt. Like I was always just missing the mark. And um, I was highly allergic to everything as a kid. So I was watched like a hawk. Could not eat nuts, could not eat tomatoes, could not eat chocolate, could not eat wheat. Um, could not eat eggs, could not eat, did I say tomatoes? <laughs> so, you know, I was always sneaking around to get my goodies because I was allergic to everything and my parents spent a small fortune getting me aller allergy shots, you know. I was also an asthmatic kid, you know. So what it was like was, it was kind of like hell, you know. The best times were when I could go to my grandma's house around the corner and just be loved. And it, it, it seemed like it was easier. The first diet that I'm aware of, my mother died when I was 14, she had an asthma attack. So my first diet was my grandmother. Now, a lot of you guys have heard this and I, I, I regret that it's gonna be the same. 
But my grandmother took me to this place called Eileen Feather Salon. It was up on um, Van Ness. And she thought if I could just, if she could just get me to start exercising, I might get to a, a thinner shape. And I also had to eat a certain amount of calories and drink this nauseous shake. Soy milk, orange juice, uh, a tablespoon of Wesson oil, and it was supposed to cut the fat. You're supposed to eat this before every meal. It tasted horrible. And I was the youngest person at Eileen Feather Salon. It was mostly housewives, you know, but I was trying, I was, I was trying, you know. Um, so what it was like, was it was hard, it was hard. And I found Weight Watchers for the first time after my first daughter was born in 1978. And that was at the Sears building up on Masonic. And, you know, I'm a compulsive overeater, always have been. I could not make Weight Watchers work. I started it when it was $3 a week. And the last time I went to Weight Watchers was up to, I think it's $12 a week. So we talk about insanity being the same thing, trying to do the same thing. You know, I must have done Weight Watchers a, a lot, trying to get to this ideal of what I thought. Then um, I was on steroids because my asthma was so bad and I was trying to get off the steroids. So I found this holistic doctor who put me on a juice fast. That worked. Carrot, juice, carrot and celery juice for 30 days. Uh, miso at night. Spelt. I'm still wheezing, so it didn't help in that way. Um, I also did 1,000 thousand calories a day. That got me down for the first time. But being a compulsive overeater, I could never stay down. So... Um, in 1999, I know I'm jumping around, guys. Just bear with me. 1999, my husband called. He just looked at the phone book, found something called OA, called this this number. It was the meeting at the dry dock on a Friday night. It was 1999. Um, I don't know if you guys can see this. I don't know how to do it. Is that good? Can you see it? That's me at top weight, guys, 275. Top height, 5'2 and a quarter. And um, I was miserable. And I hated myself. I just hated myself. Uh, so what happened was I went to OA and I it was a how meeting and I, I it was a Friday night dry dock. And by the end of the night, it's like I was sitting there scowling and angry that I had to be there and pissed at my husband for taking me. But at the end of the night, I heard my story and I was so grateful. I asked somebody to sponsor me and they suggested I go to a Sunday meeting at Kaiser and, and see if I could get a sponsor there. I went to the Sunday meeting got a sponsor, started working the steps. And this is me at my graduation party 
in 2002. Abstinence works, but you got to work the steps. You got to go to meetings. You got to have a sponsor. So in 2004, I got into the master's program and that's where I lost my abstinence. And this is me at six, my 60th birthday party. So you can see I've, I've been around the block a few times. So June 12, 2013, I am hanging out at Pacific Catch with my 18 year old friend. And he starts talking about his guitar teacher who has double aces tattooed to his arms and he bicep and he asked him what it meant. He says, well, I'm an alcoholic and an addict. And he says, but I go to meetings. And I've been clean and sober for 15 years. And my inner addict heard it. And that was a Sunday. And by Wednesday, I made the last how meeting in San Francisco. Got a sponsor with three people there, including myself. Got a sponsor and I've been sane with food ever since. So for me, the big thing is when I am abstinent, the hamster wheel stops. I'm no longer whirling at a thousand miles per hour, listening to ne negative self-talk about what a piece of shit I am. The minute I get abstinent, it quiets down. So what do I do now? Well, when my eyes open in the morning, before my feet hit the floor, I say, hi, God, it's Gail. Can you, can you help me make it through and help me with thought, word, and deed? And, and then I say grace before my meals. And then I might get down on my knees and say, say more prayers. Now, this didn't happen overnight because I was, I was like this with God. You know, I was, I was like, oh, hell no, you know? And um, when I came back at one meeting, I decided, okay, I've resigned from the debating society. I'll do whatever it takes. When I took step one, two and three, I just gave it up, gave it up. And I had this little icon that I bought back from um, Rome. I gave them all away because I couldn't take it. I would look at this icon and I would think, what? Oh, hell no. I worship God in all of her many forms. I love Shiva. You know, Shiva hair. Um, I just, you know, I, I'm as comfortable meditating with the Buddhists as I am being out at Alcatraz with the Indians. It's just, you know, I believe that God wouldn't have made all these beautiful people and given them one way to do things. So I gave all my icons away except this one. And my friend said, it'll be okay. You'll find a time and you'll put it up on your altar. Well, during COVID, I was, um, I see you, Tom, laughing at me. Um, I was so, I was in lockdown before it was locked down. My daughter called me on a Friday night when I was in, sitting in the car with a friend. She says, mom, where are you? 
And I said, well, I'm going to a meeting. And she says, mom, this is your last meeting. And I'm like, ah, 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 ah. she says, mom, there's a pandemic. You're on the list. You're 68. You have chronic asthma. You've been hospitalized multiple times with pneumonia. So I went in a week before everybody else. And my last thing to do was I had to go up to Marin to do uh, speak on a Sunday. And, and my one of my fellows took me because I had promised this woman that I would go. That was my last official act, you know? And then I was, I was in. And um, I think our meeting Monday, Monday we, we started Zoom meetings before a lot of people, you know? And what it's been like is working the steps, reading the literature, going to meetings, making my outreach calls. I look at those outreach calls kind of like a bank account. And I'm depositing against the lean times when I get so effing crazy that I hope I remember to pick up the phone. I eat three weighed measured meals, no sugar, no flour, a whole lot of not other things, but I stay sane. I, the, the literature, I mean, what you guys can't see is at the foot of my bed is Voices of Recovery, the big workbook. My, my, my four today looks like it's pregnant, you know? Um, it just looks like it's pregnant, you know? Uh, my voice is a recovery is almost in that state. I don't have around with this. This is too precious. You know, this is too precious. So during COVID times, I was going to a Friday night meeting and this young bulimic said, whoa, I've just reached 365 days of meditating every day. It was a spiritual nudge. I was like, whoa. I could do that. And so that night I started meditating. Now I've had a spiritual practice since 1972 in India, you know, but like a lot of things, I wasn't using it, you know, but that night I started to meditate. Now I meditate twice a day, no matter what. I went from 20 minutes to, I'm up to an hour, no matter what. I pray no matter what. And um, my daughter, 45, just turned 45. She had preeclampsia with her second kid. And four days after the baby was born, she was back in the hospital. And my husband and I were at a movie and our phone goes off. We thought we turned it off. And it was the end of the movie and suddenly we're rushing over to Kaiser. The first thing out of my lips was the serenity prayer because I knew there was nothing I could do about it but be present. I'm not her higher power. I don't have God's magic wand. You know, um, I, there was nothing I could do. And so I started saying the serenity prayer. I often, often say I had the serenity prayer on repeat, you know, and then she, she pulled out of it and, you know, all was well. But that's what programs like for me. 
I reach for prayer. I reach for you guys. I called a fellow, you know, we had, a, we had, it was my, it was, a, it was another daughter's birthday and something went really wrong. And the police ended up here and something went really wrong. And um, I called my, I called another fellow who like, I call her all the time for support. I said, oh my God, the worst thing possible happened. First words out of her mouth, did you break your abstinence? I said, of course not. She goes, then the worst thing didn't happen. And that's how precious this is to me. This black woman don't wanna see cops in her, at, her, at her door, you know? But when she said, well, then the worst thing didn't happen. This is how precious this gift is. First, second, third step every single day because I didn't get here by myself. And I've never been able to do it. So I read a lot of, of literature. Um, I got something for you. <laughs> June 15th, I think it's for today, not Voices Recovery. A man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? Abstinence is the beginning. Once grasped, I reach out for more. More sanity, more balance, more freedom. Recovery is an unending process. In the middle of a problem, it's easy to think that when it's over, my life will be calm and ordered. But then more is revealed. I see another defect, another source of pain, Sometimes I make visible progress. More often I see little change. There is no reason to feel discouraged because I reached for a difficult goal and failed. Reaching is a victory in itself. It is the very essence of recovery. For today, just staying abstinent. If it's all I can do today is reaching for recovery. And I take it seriously, you know? Um, Sunday, I had to go to Kaiser to pick up my prescriptions. And I, I gave the taxi cab driver my paratransit card and had $141 on it, but for whatever reason, it said zero. Because I'm in program, it was just a blip. It didn't, it didn't block me from God. You know, there would have been a time that any little blip would have been an excuse to lose my shit. I, I wouldn't have thought it like that, but that's what would have happened. But because of something I read in the literature, what I heard, no ripples. I wanna keep even. I wanna keep even. I don't wanna be um, here. I don't wanna be here. I wanna be right here. You know, um, we always say more will be revealed, but we don't know what it's going to be. And what I know is if I'm calm, if I stay in the middle, then maybe I can face it without thinking 
something else out there is going to fix me. Nothing in the world has ever fixed me but this program. Nothing in the world has ever given me this much peace. Um, that's surprising to me. Uh, I lean on spirit heavily, you know, and like I said, I'm as com comfortable with the Indians at a powwow as I am, you know, sitting with the Buddhists or getting down on my knees and saying Hail Mary, you know, it's, but I've got to stay in this, I didn't hear. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, so, it's possible to be free from the food. It's possible to be free from my crazy mind. It's possible to be at peace with the darkest of times. And COVID sometimes was the darkest of times for me. Um, but if I stay with my abstinence and I use the tools and I don't pick up the food because I don't wanna be one of those people that's digging their grave with a spoon. And that I've done that, I've been one of those people. I have another day. I get to live absently another day. And thank you so much for letting me share, and letting me celebrate my eighth anniversary. Peace.